Here's a disclaimer. The views expressed by the guests on this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of East Norfolk Sixth Form College as an institution. Also, being that we're recording online at the moment, the quality isn't amazing, but we're doing our best, so just ignore that for now, all right? Enjoy the episode. Hell yes, I'm talking. Heal that wall. Heal that wall. Put on a proper suit. Do up your tie. What Great is it? supine protoplasmic invertebrate jellies. Dodgy Dave will answer it now. You're joking. Not another one? Hello and welcome back to End the Loop, East Norfolk's very own student politics podcast. I'm your host Jake and joining me this week is the incredible Anna. Hi. The wonderful Leo. Hello. And my ever-present co-host Kira. Hello. Now it has been quite some time since we last recorded an episode so we've missed quite a lot of big stories. We have so much news to share with you that we are bursting at the seams. To catch you up, I've compiled a list of everything we've missed and um, because I was procrastinating on politics essays, I've tried to make it rhyme. Now, some of them are brilliant, the others, uh, well, you'll see. Reddit took on the stock market, making GameStop's shares skyrocket. Matt Hancock is under scrutiny for allegedly lining his pubmate's pocket. The vaccine rollout's flying with all over 70s done. Texas has frozen over, while Ted Cruz sought Cancun's sun. The EU tried to close the Irish border to boost their vaccine supplies. Donald dodged impeachment despite his election fraud lies. The UK lost a fundraising legend with the passing of Captain Tom Moore. The list of people asked to shield increased by 1.7 million more. The Prince of Dubai is keeping his daughter hostage after she tried to run away. Australia took on Facebook, now for the news they must pay. NASA launched Perseverance to Mars to join Curiosity. Meanwhile, in Hanforth, it must be said, Jackie Weaver, you have no authority. Boris Johnson announced his roadmap which gave us all some hope. That's our big news roundup to keep you in the loop. I am way too proud of myself for that one. Anyway, without further ado, let's crack on with the episode. There's so much to get through. Oh, that rhymes as well. I'm just doing it automatically at this point. It's getting scary. Let's start with the COVID stuff. It's crazy to think that last time we sat down to record, the UK hadn't passed the grim milestone of 100,000 COVID-related deaths. Now we're at the heartbreaking 121,000 with hundreds more dying every day. But there is hope. The numbers are going down and vaccine distribution is flying with over 18 million people receiving their first dose. The government is on on track to offer every adult a vaccine by mid-July. To reflect this progress, Boris has announced his roadmap to freedom, which could have all restrictions lifted by the 21st of June if everything continues to go according to plan. And we'll all be back in college from the 8th of March. So let's start off with some reactions to that. Anna, what are your thoughts? Well, I I think it was um, a very good move to start giving out some dates to give people a little bit of hope. But I think it must also be said that hope is a very dangerous thing when used wrongly. And even though people are excited, we need and we need to make sure that we're not um, that the government is not placing too much hope for people and they're not getting too excited when we don't know which way this pandemic is going to go. It's constantly changing. We could get a new variant tomorrow, like 
I don't want to be too down, but I think we also don't need to be, we don't need to be getting our hopes up too much with this. Yeah, obviously, Prime Minister said that we would have to be very cautious. And obviously, if stuff does change like new variants, everything's going to be pushed back by at least another five weeks before we can move on to the next stage. Uh, Leo, what are your thoughts as well? Uh, so I would say I do think the government have taken quite a cautious and sensible approach uh, to easing the lockdown. They sort of recognised the number of falling cases across the country, while also recognising the success of the vaccine rollout, but balancing this risk to risk uh, of sort of resurgence or any new variants. So I think all in all, they've sort of done what they can, but then also recognised that they can't do too much without the risk of a resurgence of the virus. Absolutely. And obviously, we're all going to be back in college from the 8th of March. Um, in the devolved administrations of Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, they're taking a more staggered approach to returning pupils. Well, I mean, I think it, it did surprise me definitely when, obviously, Boris announced that we were going for this big bang approach, because obviously in the past, we've always gone for a staggered return to see the effects going. So I think it will be very interesting to see what the effects of us all going back to school is because obviously as said the, vac the vaccination program is underway but the vaccination has obviously been currently for the older parts of England or people who are at higher risk which obviously is not necessarily all teachers and obviously very little students. Yeah the government has try is trying to stop infection spreading in schools and colleges too much by introducing more testing. Um, two tests a week, um, three to be done in college during the first two weeks back and then one done at home. And masks are now going to be compulsory in classrooms and indoors where social distancing is not possible. Leo, do you think that's good enough? Um, I do agree that people now have to wear masks. I mean, even though in our college we were doing it, um, I know particularly with my brothers and sisters in their secondary school, they weren't wearing uh, masks around the school and so I do agree that the government's now made it a requirement that people have to do so. Um, now on the note of the testing in schools, the government are going to use the lateral flow test and there has been concerns raised over there uh, how effective they are and how many uh, false negatives they produce so that's something to watch out for. Um, but just on, a, on the point of the schools returning on March 8th, obviously the government have said uh, that they're going to be flexible on this week and allow sort of schools to stagger the approach throughout that week. So as opposed to all people returning on March 8th, it's going to be uh, staggered throughout that week. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be interesting, actually, um, how viable the constant lateral flow tests are going to be, because obviously that's quite a lot of tests um, for schools. And I mean, all of those tests are going to have to be provided. Presumably, I don't think it would be sensible for the government to expect schools to buy them without any budget increases themselves. Um, and I think it's also going to be said that like the effects it's going to have in the long run, because that is also a lot of unrecycled plastic. And as, the, as much as we are in a pandemic, we're still in a climate emergency as well. So it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see as well how viable this actually is going to be. Uh, Anna, did you have something to add as well? we might also see a problem with um, secondary school children having to self-administer these tests 
Um, my my brother, he's he's twelve, and I, I doubt that he would be able to stick one of those right into the back of his throat um, multiple times a week. I just I don't think they'll be because they're already not reliable. Um, but if children aren't even administering them properly, there's going to be even more problems there. And there's also a lot of pressure on on schools to be administering. There was this um, news story um, I read with a school that had to pay 20 grand for a tent that they set up in like, outside the school because they didn't have the facilities to accommodate having to set up these tests for everyone. There's a lot of schools that just don't have the don't have the facilities to have the, the, the room to be able to set up all these testing centres. It's going to be um, quite a challenge on a lot of schools to accommodate that. Yeah, and you mentioned there about having to conduct the tests themselves. I know from experience that it's not easy and very unpleasant to do. Like trying to find your tonsils with a small stick that you can't touch any other part of your mouth with either, because then that will ruin the result. It's a nightmare. And, and then having to put up your nose as well is even more unpleasant. It's not fun at all. The 21st of June is obviously the date where we could all be free. Um, what would be the first thing you're planning to do if we are free by that time? Uh, Kira, start with you. I'm going to have to say work a hell of a lot. <laughs> um, I know lots of people are planning like their big party summers, but I'm going to have to say, you know, uh, as much as it's been fun sitting at home, it's been a lot of money lost and, you know, completely different from me personally. But I think if we can be out by the 21st, a good summer of people actually been able to be able to go out would help a lot of the businesses that have been struggling. Well, I'm going to be the basic person and say, go out with my friends, um, go out to go to a party, that sort of thing. Um, but I've also got to go back to work. My furlough will end. So I'll get that money ready for uni. Um, I'll be honest, I've not really thought about it that much. Um, I mean, it's great that all the restrictions will be eased if they'll be eased on the 21st of March. But at the same time, I, I don't think people should use the 21st of March as a reason to suddenly all start mixing. I think we still should be cautious going forward. But as opposed to me, I've not got any particular plans. Yeah, one thing that will happen is the government is going to do a review into social distancing. And if that goes in a particular way, we might be able to hug again, which would be lovely because I really miss giving my grandparents a hug and just seeing them in general would be nice. Well, we'll move on then to America, because a lot of it's been happening there. Of course, they recently passed the mile of half a million COVID-related deaths, which is even more horrifying. But with Joe Biden now in charge, cases are beginning to go down there. And we also had the impeachment trial of one Donald Trump. Now, even though 57 senators voted to convict him, it was not enough because they required two thirds of the Senate to convict. And that meant that Donald Trump has got off scot-free once again. Anna, what's your reaction to that? Well, I did watch it as it happened. And um, I thought that the prosecution put forward a very good case. They were very coherent and they did have a valid argument, but the, the, the problem with the whole impeachment process is that it's a, a biased case and they give biased answers by using a biased jury. So there is no way that that was ever going to pass if the Senate is 50-50 and they need three, three thirds, well, two thirds to 
pass the the, the impeachment, it, it was never going to happen. And they could have made the best case that they, they ever, that it could have swayed, they needed 17 senators to get it passed, and they were never going to sway that many. So um, I think it's just something that we need to live with and something that does need to be reformed. Hopefully they'll look into that, but with such a, a, a bipartisan um, system, I doubt that that will happen. We also saw minority leader Mitch McConnell as saying that he did believe that Trump's words did cause the insurrection, but he still didn't vote to convict him and made sure that his party didn't either. And the reaction from Donald Trump on saying that he was responsible, um, he's wrote a very strongly worded letter about Mitch McConnell, which attacks his character quite a bit. And it seems that Donald Trump is intent on destroying those in the Republican Party who decided to go against him. Uh, well, first of all, I do think we should all be concerned that Trump wasn't convicted. Um, uh, I mean, it's clear that he was responsible for the tragic and shocking events that unfolded on the 6th of January. Um, I mean, his words, I quote, fight like hell, unquote, uh, was what he used to entice the, uh, his supporters to attack the building. Um, and really ultimately American democracy almost crumbled as a result of his baseless allegations of voter fraud and uh, uh, the real possibility that he could refuse a peaceful transfer of power. Um, I agree with what Anna said about um, it, it's their bias and that's that's really the problem here. Um, Mitch McConnell who said that Trump was practically and morally responsible for the riots like you said he then decided not to convict him um, now, obviously, his justification for that was that the Senate couldn't convict Trump because it was unconstitutional because he had left office. However, if you look into that, it was actually Mitch McConnell that delayed a request for an early impeachment trial, which would have meant it would take place when he was in office. Um, and to be honest, it, this links quite nicely to um, the future of the Republican Party. And I believe that the main reason why, even though most Republicans felt that he was responsible for the events, they decided not to convict him on the basis that ultimately they may need him in four years' time. Well, yeah, that is an interesting point because obviously now that Trump isn't in, hasn't been convicted, he can run again in 2024. There's been talk that he might branch off and create his own party called the Patriot Party, or if he becomes a Republican nominee again, that some of the anti-Trump members of the Republicans would branch off and form their own new party. So either way, it looks likely that the Republican Party is going to be very split over Donald Trump, and that could seriously impact their election success in the future. Uh, Kira, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, I think I think maybe there there's multiple pathways it can go. Nothing could happen, but I think more likely Trump may run next year. And I think he might give it a good go. And I wouldn't be surprised if he does get a decent amount of votes should he do it because of those really strong supporters that he does have. But I think the issue that there might be in America, should Trump create his party, is he is going to split those Republican votes. And I think it'd be interesting to see whether it becomes Democrat run for a good couple of years because of those split votes, you know, or even how seriously the Patriot Party will be taken. I believe there was a, a survey done recently which said that 67, somewhere around 67% of the Republican Party support Donald Trump, 
So if he was to become the Republican nominee, you can assume that 67% of the Republican base would again vote for Trump. But that other 33%, would they switch over to the Democrats just to stop Trump from winning? And that will be a key part of whether or not the Republicans have any electoral success in the future. Um, Texas, that's where we'll go next. Um, there's a lot of snow in Texas. And while we're on the subject of senators, Ted Cruz decided that he didn't want to stick around in the cold weather and decided to go on a flight to Cancun. He's tried to claim that he was just escorting his children there because they wanted to go on holiday. But the fact that he also took a former college roommate of him is slightly bizarre and doesn't really support that argument. So what are your thoughts on Ted Cruz acting the way he has, Anna? Well, um, <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of Ted Cruz to start. Um, I thought his conduct within the impeachment trial and all the events leading up, up to that um, completely tarnished his reputation um, and will further be a scar that he has upon him but I think this is just the icing on the cake the fact that um like 60 people died due to the power going out in Texas it completely froze over no electricity because um fun fact Texas is the only state in the U.S. to control its own electrical grid um so if that goes out it all goes out um and so I think that he does need to have some responsibility put, put on to him. He he did this on purpose and he can't he can't just keep getting away with this sort of thing. Um he tried to make it out that he was just taking them and then would come back. He did have a flight the next day, but then it was released by the um it was leaked by the airline that he was actually planning to stay to, for the rest of the week. So there that is actually an inquiry going into that. But this is just no responsibility for any, any senators, any Republican senators. And this is something that we really need to see in order for the Republicans to ever gain back the support that they, they used to. And we're really gonna see them suffer at the midterms if they're not gonna sort themselves out and start making the ones who are supporting Trump and making these bad decisions and not supporting new American people when they're in need, but they're never going to regain what they used to. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, I only found out about his trip yesterday, um, but from what I've heard about it, it is completely outrageous what he did. Um, uh, obviously, if you're the senator for Texas and, you're, and Texas is having such a terrible snowstorm, then it's your responsibility as a senator to do all you can uh, for the Texas people and to go on a trip to Cancus and sort of wipe your hands of the responsibility is outrageous. Um, I mean, as a whole, I think if we look at this as a more broader sense, it links to the responsibility politicians do have to the people they represent. Um, and obviously by being elected to public office, this is something that they should fulfill. Um, you can actually draw a parallel to the situation last year in the UK uh, when we had the exam fiasco and Boris was found in a tent in Scotland. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember, but um, you, uh, they, they, wanted to, they were using this algorithm and it created such uproar among students and, and Boris was nowhere to be found and it, it transpired he had gone to Scotland and was on a, a tent in holiday. Um, and obviously, again, that isn't meeting the duty that politicians should owe to the people they represent. 
Well, I mean, Texas is not built for snow or cold weather. You know, it's when you think of Texas, you know, it could be an English person's, you know, biased point of view, but, you know, you think hot weather, you know, that sort of stuff. So it really, it isn't a surprise that they suffered so badly and it shouldn't have been a surprise for Ted, you know? He, it shouldn't have been an assumption for him that he could leave and everything would be absolutely fine and handled well, you know? So I think he does need to be held somewhat accountable for it but I mean it seems to be a reoccurring thing especially quite recently of politicians making mistakes or even going through scandals and very little happening or very little apologies happening either you know with the exam fiasco and stuff like that and obviously quite a lot of US senators seem to go through it (laughs) Yeah, well, we've spoken a lot about accountability. Um, Ted Cruz, I don't think, is up for re-election until 2024. But we do have the midterms in 2022, where a lot of senators are will be defending their seats. And there's a number of factors that are going to be at play. Obviously, usually midterms tend to go against the sitting president, as people are not quite happy with what they happened. And you tend to see the other party either taking control of the House or the Senate. But with everything at play, Trump saying he's going to try and primary a lot of incumbent Republican senators who have gone against him, um, with things like Ted Cruz and other uh, senators' conduct in the impeachment trial, and obviously the backlash that Trump is going to be facing after the Capitol Hill riots, could the Democrats either increase on their majority or hold on to the 50 seats they currently have. Um, Obviously, still two years away, but should we put an early prediction in? Anna, what are your thoughts? I really don't know, to be honest with you. Um, I'm usually good at predicting these sort of things, but um, I I think it really depends what happens, particularly in the next six months, what the Republicans do, um, if they're going to rebrand themselves. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting question you raised about how in the next midterm elections are going to turn out, particularly uh, over the question of what the Republican Party does about Donald Trump. Um, I mean, the important thing to remember is that Trump received a substantial, substantial number of votes in November, uh, again, defying the polls. But what's in, more interesting about that is that he received more popular votes than he did in 2016. And so it's clear from this that his agenda still has a lot of support among the American public. So the question we have to ask is, are we going to see the Republican Party try to move away from Donald Trump's agenda in the midterm elections, or are they going to try and push forward with it? And I think that ultimately would determine the success, uh, because obviously, like you mentioned, Trump has said about standing his own candidates in the midterm elections, particularly those that push forward with his MAGA, Make America Great Again agenda, um, with the purpose of being sort of revenge against those Republicans that didn't back his electoral fraud claims of the ones that voted to convict him in the trial. So ultimately, it will, it will depend on whether Republicans choose to push forward with his agenda in which you may see Trump back the uh, Republican Party's candidates, or if they try and move too far away from his agenda, you may see heavy losses for them if, like with the Brexit Party, uh, Trump's new so-called Patriot Party splits the vote. Well, I mean, I think it's definitely dependent on, uh, as Anna said, the next couple of months and that sort of stuff, because obviously, depending on the events that happen next, the shadow of Trump may still be a shadow that people don't want to return. 
or they could already be fed up with the Democrats. But I would have to say, just from like a gut feeling, I have a feeling the Democrats will roughly stay where they are. Uh, but I have asked Jake, what's your prediction? I was worried someone was going to ask me that. Um, I would say that I think, obviously, the Senate is on a knife edge at the moment, 50-50 each. And obviously, it could change if Biden gets through his plans for DC statehood. Obviously, that would then be 102 seats in the Senate and both of them likely to go Democrat, which could play a part in shifting the balance. I think... The Democrats, especially considering a lot of incumbent Republicans are considering retirement as well, might be able to gain some more in the Senate. In regards to the House, uh, obviously the Republicans gained in the House, obviously wasn't able to take it, but they still gained seats, and it could become a little bit closer. So I think gains in the Senate for the Democrats, a uh, few gains in the um in the House for the Republicans. Um, Leo, you can make your point about vaccine rollout if you want. Oh yeah, I just noticed we didn't uh, touch on this as much earlier. Um, uh, in my opinion, I, I would like to see those in frontline jobs or those that put them at an increased risk of catching the virus, such as the NHS, the police force and teachers prioritise for a vaccine. Um, Ideally, I do believe that teachers should have been vaccinated before the return on March 8th. Uh, but I just wanted to ask the other panellists, what is your opinion on teachers being vaccinated? Um, well, I'm going to have to say that I agree with you, Leo. Um, it was in my opinion that perhaps frontline workers should have been a first priority because obviously people are that we have vaccinated already are at risk more. But I feel that the people who are shielding or have the opportunity to shield and have been for the past couple of months could have continued to do so whilst the government vaccinated those who would be more at risk of catching and spreading the virus. Yeah, I think it's, it's so vitally important that teachers get vaccinated. They are being put in direct harm's way now that they are going back to, back to teaching. Um, there, there was a report that came out that said that over the half term, if they would have stopped all other vaccines and just moved to doing teachers, they could have done all of them within a weekend. Um, imagine that they would all have been done and we would be in a much better position. Teachers, a lot of teachers aren't young. It takes a while to do teacher training. So if these are all already late 20s or not older, they're going to be more at risk. There's, there's this harm that's going to come directly towards them and there's, there's not a lot to um, defend themselves. Then I'd also like to bring in supermarket workers. They've been on the direct front lines since the start of this pandemic and they've had zero recognition from the government on getting vaccines, getting the PPE they need. Um, I have a friend who works in Tesco's and his um, mum works with him as well. She's in her late 50s and they have worked a lot, like every day since the start of the pandemic. And they, just have, they have barely any protection and they're directly communicating with the public every day and putting themselves in harm's way. That there should be more of a recognition for them and to them getting their vaccines. Yeah, I, I think I've got to agree with that. Um, obviously, people who are going to be more at risk of being exposed to the virus need to be protected against the virus. The only thing being is, obviously, the older you are and other medical conditions you have are more at risk. So if you, if you fall into those at-risk groups, you're going to get vaccinated anyway. It's just whether or not everybody who's on the front line should be vaccinated.
and I think that's a very important point that Leo's raised. Um, so after that slight detour, I think um, we'll go back to America who and NASA, who have launched the Perseverance rover, and that has landed on Mars to search for signs of life. A lot of people speculating, could we put men or women on Mars in our lifetimes? Is that going to be achievable? What do you think, Kira? Well, I mean, I'm going to have to say space and space travel is not my specialty. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it would be awesome to see. I think it's absolutely amazing that they've even got the rover on there. I've been looking at some of the photos that have been sent back already, and it is honestly insane. I think that should they find water, signs of water there, or signs of past bacteria, it would be groundbreaking discovery. And if they do find it, I wouldn't be surprised if it does push the race to actually get people on there. Yeah, and you've also got people like Elon Musk saying he wants to get people on Mars on, on, on Mars as well. And so who knows? Leo, what do you think? I mean, I find the whole topic of space and extraterrestrial life so fascinating. Um, and I mean, personally, I'm convinced that there must be other life somewhere out there in the galaxy. If you look at the size of how big it is with all the different galaxies, I think it's only a matter of time before we as the human race do finally find other life out there. Now, the question of whether that will be in our lifetime or not, uh, I, I'm not sure about that. But I'm on the point about getting humans on Mars. I, I do think that it's going to be in our lifetime. I think particularly, like you said, with Elon Musk and his push for this. And also we've seen other companies, particularly like uh, Richard Branson and his Virgin Company, have uh, been pushing for space travel. So I think by expanding out into space, sort of in slow steps, first of all, so maybe it will start with space travel, sort of you know, the richest people will be able to take trips into space. Um, and then after that, it will eventually get to the point where you can travel to another planet and uh, I mean it'll be slow steps but I do think we would start to establish colonies uh, around space and not just on Mars I mean I'm hopeful for that um, now in the future if you want to link it back to politics I actually do think we're going to have a bit like a Star Trek situation in the future where <laughs> um, with, so you're going to have like I don't know if you've seen it uh, I'm probably digressing a bit now so I'll be quick but um, uh, there was this <laughs> there, was, uh, there was this Doctor Who episode once and you had aliens attacking the earth and anyway the doctor he became the president of the earth and he had to defend he represented the whole of the earth against uh, this uh, extraterrestrial life that was attacking us so I do think in the future, I mean, you could link it to uh, political globalisation, really. I do think that we're going to have a Earth government and then different planets are going to have different governments as well. I think that's the way it will go. But this will be hundreds and hundreds of years away. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of one of our first episodes when we were talking about alien invasions. But Anna, do you have any thoughts on this? I think the Space Race 2.0 will be an exciting thing to observe. Um, uh, I, I'm going to agree with Kira, I'm not an expert in this area, um, but I think it will be interesting to see which countries actually um, ramp up their space programmes to get humans there, um, how science advances, how what, what we're actually going to collect from this Perseverance ro rover. Um, it'll be fascinating and I'm, I'm excited to see it, that's all I've got to say. I think something that has to be brought up as well, which will be amazing to watch, should it be in our lifetime, which probably not, is if ownership of planets continues to be the whole world owns it, 
or whether that starts to break off with certain people gaining ownership of them, certain countries that put colonies there first, you know, that sort of stuff. I think it would be really amazing to watch happen. Space capitalism. Or even worse, space colonialism. Quite just in that, we've seen uh, with America, we've seen Trump establish the Space Force. Um, and so that could be the first sign of countries trying to sort of maintain dominance and their superiority in the space world. Yeah, I mustn't forget about Trump's Space Force. It made me laugh when the flag for that was waved at the inauguration. But an interesting question, I think, I think we don't get the samples back from the Perseverance rover until 2030, I think, when they're having to launch another rocket to go and retrieve the samples. But if things go well and we are able to get people to Mars, would you volunteer, Kira? I mean, why not? It would be it would certainly be a lot of excitement. Although I will have to raise the point that I get uh, air sickness on an aeroplane, so I'm not sure how well I'd cope in zero gravity. Possibly not the ideal candidate then. Anna, what about you? 100%. Sign me up. Um, I think there's people who are perhaps a bit more specialist than me who are better suited, but yeah, if they wanted me, I'd 100% go. Um, well, I remember there was this uh, organisation once called Mars One, and they wanted to set up this colony on Mars. And the way they were going to do it, they were going to initially send sort of, they were going to, people were going to live inside these pods in Mars, and they were initially going to send a small number of people, and then they were going to keep sending more and more people. Uh, but the catch was, and the reason why they were so convinced that they could do it more efficiently than other companies, is that once they sent you there, you weren't going to be able to come back. Um, so it was a bit like a one-way trip. Obviously, it never went ahead. They, I think they planned and put in people on Mars last year, but it, it never went ahead. Um, but uh, uh, I don't. I, I personally wouldn't want to go. Um, uh, not. I wouldn't want to be sort of among the first people. I mean, maybe once it's a bit more established. But otherwise, than that, I, I wouldn't volunteer myself. I think I'm going to join Leo on the team staying on the ground uh, for at least the time being. Um, obviously, um, we'll find out in about 10, 20 years if this is at all possible at all. So, well, I think that's where we're going to call this episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And of course, thank you to my guests, Anna and Leo, for joining me. And of course, my co-host, Kira, who is always wonderful and always helping me out. And unfortunately having to ask me questions more and more recently um also make sure you check out our other episodes and give us a follow so you never miss a future episode i always forget to do that at the end of an episode but i'm getting there anyway thank you very much for listening make sure you tune in next week to stay in the loop hell yes i'm tough enough heal that wall heal that wall put on a proper suit do up your tie Great supine protoplasmic invertebrate jellies. Dodgy Dave will answer it now. You're joking. Not another one?